Transform your investment strategy with the MD Platinum Global Private Equity 2023 Trust. This unique offering exclusive to physician families uses non-traditional strategies that allow you to diversify your portfolio and potentially help grow your wealth over the long term. With access to institutional level private equity opportunities, this solution could be what you need to help you meet your financial goals. Learn more about this limited time opportunity at mb.ca slash private equity. Welcome to episode 27 of the MD Market Watch podcast and the first episode of 2023. I'm your host, Alex Chung, Content Manager with MD Financial Management. To kick off the new year, I'm joined by Craig Maddock, Vice President, Senior Portfolio Manager and Head of the Multi-Asset Management Team, and Wesley Blight, Portfolio Manager, to reflect on the past year, talk about key drivers of investment performance, and discuss what lies ahead and how we're positioned. Please enjoy. All right, Craig, Wes, thanks for joining us today. Given we've just started the new year, I'm hoping we can take a look back at some of the key drivers and themes that impacted and continue to impact global markets and the economy. Also wanted to get a quick temperature check here in early 2023 so our listeners can get an idea of what to expect. Lots to discuss. Let's jump in. So from an investment performance perspective, I think it's fair to describe 2022 with the word volatile. Why don't we start there uh, to provide some context as clients are receiving their year-end quarterly statements? Craig, what were the key drivers of investment performance in 2022? Well, thanks, Alex. And, uh, you know, certainly after a decade of above average annual returns for balanced portfolios, I think 2022 was a, a big surprise for investors. It really wasn't very good. Most portfolios were down, you know, 10% or more from the peak that we saw in markets back at the end of 2021. And of course, stock markets around the world sold off as central banks tightened monetary policy. Sort of think of that as secret code for increased borrowing costs. I think a lot of our clients will have felt the impact of that personally. And this is, of course, in response to exceptionally high inflation. Major markets like the S&P 500 were down in excess of 20% at some point in time of the year. And there was a general negative trend across equity markets. And we would call this a bear market environment. Of course, within that, there were very few places to hide because last year, not only stocks, but also bond investments declined in value. And this rapid rise of interest rates wreaked havoc on bond prices, meaning that even the most conservative portfolios did lose some of their value in 2022. Now, there were many contributing factors to this decline that we saw in 2022. Part of it was, you know, strong returns that we had seen in portfolios for many years. That had driven both stocks and bonds to very high prices and interest rates to historic lows and negative, in fact, in some parts of the world. Actually, if you look back at the end of 2021, you could say that both bonds and stocks were priced for perfection. And in reality, in 2022, things were clearly far from perfect. High inflation was the key driver of this reset in prices. However, things like high energy prices, which of course contributed to the high inflation, supply chain disruptions, significant demand continuing from the reopening after COVID shutdowns, all of this was the perfect storm for markets. You add on top of that geopolitics, top of the list with Russia's war in Ukraine, and of course, the resulting global sanctions that shut the Russian economy off from the rest of the world. And ultimately, you end up with what we saw in 2022. Every market setback is different. I mean, I can think back through many in my career, like the IT bubble of the late 90s, the global financial crisis in 2008, 2009. While the cause is always different in the cycles, things get priced to perfection and typically kept reversed and often very painfully. See, the good news, so looking forward, is that the progress that we saw to reset market prices and that setback often sets us up for some of the best returns for investors following these biggest declines. Wes, a pattern that we talked about throughout the year was the rotation of performance and big differences in returns across asset classes, sectors, and geographies. What drove this behavior? Thanks, Alex. I think a lot of what, what Craig mentioned 
played out throughout the year and had a direct impact on capital markets and really rare, but cash was clearly the king in 2022 with short duration exposure, so lower interest rate risk, providing the most material protection in the past year. The FTSE Canada Universe Bond Index, which represents all Canadian investment grade bonds, fell by 11.7% over the year. And all of that decline came in the first half of the year compared to positive performance in the second half of the year. And that was as a result of bond investors having really correctly predicted that monetary policy around the world would dramatically tighten in 2022. And even though those key lending rates from policymakers, central banks really around the world, even though they've continued to increase through the end of the year and even through until now, the pace of bond yields rising slowed. And that slowdown happened on expectations that central banks were unlikely to continue rocketing their key lending rates higher in future years. On the equity side, a lot of what Craig mentioned also had a significant influence in that we did have geopolitical turmoil with Russia's invasion of the Ukraine causing energy prices to soar. And in turn, Canadian energy stocks dramatically outperformed the Canadian equity index in that Canadian energy stocks rose 24% in the year when the broad Canadian equity index fell 6%. And then within energy itself, there was definitely some winners and some losers in that energy companies and energy stocks perform really well, but energy consumers like you and I got squeezed. Western Canada Select rose 78% from the start of the year to March, and it remained elevated through the first half of the year. And then it started to decline in the back half as expectations for global economic growth and energy demand started to slow. For the full calendar year, Western Canada Select ended down. 15%. Global oil prices, so Brent crude and WTI, were up 7 and 4% respectively, following a similar pattern. Natural gas was up 6% after increasing a whopping 153% between the start of the year and August. Now that same phenomenon played out in our pockets. In Canada, year-over-year energy inflation peaked at 39% in June, And it's since come down, but it's still at year over year, 13.9%. That's extraordinarily high and and polar opposite from the dramatic deflation we witnessed in the first half of 2020 as demand collapsed. And that happened because we were slowing our economy down. And that was in the middle of the early days of the pandemic where we were staying at home and we weren't necessarily spending as much capital or consumer spending had, had shrunk. What about the rest of the world? Looking across the globe, the same phenomenon really played out. In Europe, it was the first time since 2011 that the European Central Bank raised rates. They were emerging from negative key lending rates for the first time since March 2014. And there, rates had been held at negative 50 basis points, so negative 0.5%, since late 2019. And they're now increasing at a historic pace with the euro area having experienced 10% year-over-year headline inflation with gas prices up over 67%. Similar story in the UK with year-over-year inflation being 10.7%. And the difference here is the Bank of England was more proactive in raising rates earlier than what the ECB did. Now, usually the UK market doesn't have a big impact on global markets, but policy proposals from the short-lived Liz Trust Premiership had a profound impact on bond markets with their mini-budget including significant spending and unfunded tax cuts. Now that policy 
decision that they had proposed was intended to be stimulative. It was intended to support consumer spending and spending generally to try and help the economy recover in the UK. But financial conditions were already tight and they'd already tightened so significantly that the market response was quick, profound, bond yields spiked, caused bond prices to plummet so much that UK pension schemes became for sellers to raise liquidity. And ultimately the Bank of England had to step in with a purchase program. That mini budget was ultimately quashed. And as we know now, the Liz Trust premiership ended after only 45 days. Now, supply side economics have generally improved since the end of the pandemic, but this has been a disproportionate improvement across the globe. China's reopening is certainly going to help further ease pressure, but that's going to continue to be slow as COVID spread is rampant with lockdown policies in China having eased only recently. Vaccinations are proving ineffective and hospital capacity is proving insufficient thus far to handle the increase in hospitalizations that are certainly happening as a result of COVID's rampant spread through China. Within China, manufacturing production has been volatile, but it's actually increased, whereas consumer spending amidst those lockdowns has clearly slowed. When you think back to the experience that we had in Canada, when we weren't able to get out of our homes and go out and spend money, that same thing has happened in China. And that's really been a larger impact to consumer services versus consumer goods. Now, we are anticipating that there's going to be a rebound, but that's going to occur in fits and starts as spending is likely to slow with export orders contracting on the back of lower economic demand globally. And liquidity at the same time is being tightened by the central bank in Canada, even though support from authorities has been increased to property developers in China. And if you think back to the bond payment issues that happened earlier, that support is required, but it's really hard for central banks and policymakers to act because debt levels are already so high. Now, the reopening of China, I think, is, is much more positive for China itself than the rest of the world because the boost is coming from for services and consumer spending, whereas the rest of the world is more exposed to China's industrial economy. Now, it doesn't mean that, uh, that all areas of the world have gone through an incredibly tough time. India has actually been performing quite well, and they've been a beneficiary of the uncertainty in China with multinational companies becoming more keen on turning to India as an alternative for their international expansion. And as they look to gain access to what's been a, a growing middle-income consumer in India, India itself is on track to be the third largest economy in the world by the end of the decade. And now same supply chain disruptions that I was talking about earlier in China, that's boosted the appeal for other global businesses like Apple as an example, having warned that their COVID restrictions in China were going to interrupt the primary assembly facility in China and that they were moving some of their production over to India. Now, I mentioned Apple, and I should, I should mention that growth-style equities underperformed quite dramatically, and it was an offset similar to what Craig mentioned, the discrepancy between the experience we had in the pandemic and now the experience that we're having outside of the pandemic Valuations played a, a role here in that growth-oriented stocks were bid up. The valuations were growing as their outperformance was so outsized relative to their value peers. As the pandemic has evolved and our consumer habits have changed, that positive boost that growth stocks were receiving in the past is starting to unwind. And you layer on top that financing costs have increased. The underperformance of growth stocks was quite profound, and that was really concentrated in IT stocks. And then tech-oriented stocks like consumer services 
are tech-oriented consumer services like Meta, Facebook, Netflix, Disney, Alphabet, or Google all underperformed their value peers in the last year. Thanks for that, Wes. I think it might be an understatement to say that you guys had a, a busy year. Now, given all these considerations, how did our portfolios perform in 2022? Also, what adjustments did we make throughout the year to better position our clients? Our portfolios generally experienced some challenges in 2022 alongside broader markets. The tough thing is that both stocks and bonds declined. That's extremely unusual for that to happen at the same time. And usually what we would expect to happen and usually what has happened in the past is bonds act as a counter to equity market drawdowns. But given this year, there was such a, a profound focus on combating that inflation that, that Craig mentioned, interest rates rose at a historic price and that pushed bond returns lower. At the same time, the rise in interest rates pushed the cost of capital higher. So it was pushing the cost of capital higher for all companies to much higher levels. And in turn, that corresponding fear of an economic recession, or at least a slowdown in earnings, caused investors to sell. And that happened predominantly in the first six months of the year. So heading into the year, we were cautiously optimistic with a defensive position for our fixed income allocations via lower weight to our lower allocation to interest rate risk because we thought that inflation was going to be high, but transitory. On the equity side, we were neutral to modestly underweight versus our strategic allocations. And as it became clear that inflation was not going to be a transitory phenomenon and that market conditions would worsen, we became increasingly defensive with an underweight equity allocation. Now, stepping back, I mentioned strategic asset allocation and that this is our positioning for the long term. And that's based on our forward-looking capital market assumptions for risk, return, correlation, so how different asset classes move together or don't move together in all of the allocation decisions we make. Risk management is our primary focus. And our portfolios are anchored on the required amount of risk to realize our client's long-term investment objective. Our portfolios are designed to be robust rather than optimal. And what I mean by that is we recognize our long-term assumptions aren't going to be perfectly correct. And that it's better to have a structure that's going to be robust to multiple investment environments as opposed to having a portfolio that's only mathematically derived. It's also an acknowledgement that we don't know exactly what's going to happen and are focused on maximizing the probability of realizing our clients' investment objectives through time. Now, over a reasonable investment time horizon, we found that this results in very attractive investment performance. And then additionally, we have the capacity to deploy tactical decisions, and we use that extensively throughout 2022. Now, we don't make giant swings in our asset allocation, but we will make tactical moves from time to time to take advantage of shorter term trading opportunities. And we did that throughout 2022, most significantly by reducing some exposure to equities and moving into cash. So while 2022 wasn't the best year for our portfolios overall, we're confident that this measured approach and uh, focus on the long term will provide performance prospectively that's a lot better than what we've just gone through in 2022. Thanks for that review, Wes. I really appreciate the overview of our process. I know we mainly focus on the long-term strategic asset allocation, but it does sound like our investment process allows us to be nimble and quite opportunistic. It does, Alex, and, and it lets us react quite quickly when we see unusual volatility coming. 
we are able to do that without changing the long-term makeup of our portfolio. While we do embed some timing into the decisions that we're making, we don't want to try and time the market aggressively because one, it's extraordinarily hard to do. And two, we don't want to impose such a significant change on a short-term basis that pulls the client away from their ability to realize their long-term objectives. I think that's critically important. Wes talked about portfolios generally experiencing some challenges in 2022. And despite seeing some performance improvement in the latter half of the year, volatility often challenges investor discipline. Craig, how should our long-term investors think about the performance of their portfolios in 2022? I think it's it's natural for people to think in terms of, you know, quarters or calendar ends. Uh, let's face it, our lives rotate around the Gregorian calendar, which incorporates the Earth's travel around the sun and the moon around the Earth. And this is interesting because it gives us patterns that we can use to create year ends and month ends and quarter ends. And to some degree, they influence our behavior and the performance and investments. They really mean very little over the lifetime of an investor. And Wes alluded to this already, you know, what's really important for us long-term and really what's important for our clients is, can you meet your long-term goals? And when it comes to an investment portfolios, investors often worry about short-term periods of weak performance, like last year. But we know from long periods of history, both stocks and bonds, they do fluctuate in value. And Wes mentioned that, you know, we know that they will also go up generally over time. And while most major indices have declined in 2022, if you measure it over long periods, in fact, they're up. Look back to every calendar year since 1960, balanced portfolios have declined 20% of the time. But if you look out over three-year periods, they've only declined 2% of the time. And there has not been a five-year period since 1960 where a balanced portfolio had a negative return. So while it never feels good when markets decline, we understand that it is going to happen from time to time. And that is anchored into those long-term expectations that Wes just spoke about. It is uncomfortable but it generally works out fine over the long term. And I think that's the key is we have to think over the long term. Now, in terms of the different quarters within 2022, it's true that the worst of the losses were earlier in the year and the markets regained some territory in the fourth quarter. And while there are some reasons to be a bit more optimistic as we head into 2023, we believe that volatility will continue. There are going to still be some economic ups and downs in the year ahead. And for that, we have, of course, planned and are managing our portfolios accordingly. Thanks for putting performance into perspective, Craig. Wes provided the backdrop earlier. Rising inflation and interest rates were dominant themes for 2022. As we kick off the new year, it remains a key concern. What are our expectations for 2023? Also, what other themes are we watching that will impact markets this year? Well, Alex, that was a, a huge deal last year. Inflation spiked, as you mentioned, for a variety of reasons. And importantly, the world's major central banks had an incredible response increasing interest rates faster than we've seen in decades. We're talking, you know, 400 basis points or 4% increases in both Canada and the U.S. in a very short period of time. And after years of low inflation and low interest rates, uh, that was the shock to markets for sure. And of course, central banks have made it very clear that they're planning on bringing inflation back down. Uh, they will keep interest rates elevated, you know, as long as it takes or as high as it takes. And, and we've certainly seen some progress on the inflation front, with inflation starting to ease over the past few months. Uh, the CPI, which peaked in June, has come down. And as these rate hikes from earlier in the year are starting to make an impact on spending habits and behaviors of consumers. And so while inflation is still a concern and interest rates will likely continue to climb or at least you know, remain elevated through much of 2023, I think there's also a real probability that we'll see you know, either a 
rate cuts later in the year, or at least a view that the heavy lifting on the rate rises will start to, to decrease, especially if we do see a recession into this year. All of that activity that Craig just described made for a pretty dramatic year for bond investments. But on a go forward basis, it puts us in a pretty interesting place. And because bond yields are so much higher now, bond investments are a lot more appealing than they were a year ago. And quite frankly, they're a lot more appealing than they were at this time in 2021, in 2020, in 2019. And that's because we were in this environment where yields kept just moving down, 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 down as policymakers became more and more accommodative. Now that we're in this environment where policymakers have moved to a more restrictive monetary policy, that has boosted bond yields higher, which means forward-looking basis, because the starting yield of bonds are so strongly correlated with the total return that we get from bonds, that makes fixed income investments a lot more appealing now than they have been in the recent past. That's a great segue. Our colleague Ian published a blog prior to the holidays outlining what we could expect this year. Spoiler alert, we might see some normalization with respect to inflation, economic growth, interest rate policy. Wes, what are some of the opportunities we see for 2023 and how are we positioned to take advantage? From my perspective, what I just mentioned around bond investments, I think that is the one area where we are seeing a significant opportunity for added value. And we're always evaluating things, but one of our processes is an annual review of our upcoming capital market assumptions. Now, these are our long-term capital market assumptions. And as a result of that analysis, what I just mentioned about bonds, we are expecting higher investment returns across the board on a go-forward basis. Now, this is long-term, so think 10 years. And that, that higher portfolio return is largely being driven by the more compelling bond yields that we're now experiencing. But it's also true for equities. And that last year's poor performance has led to some more attractive valuations. And we recognize that the economy may experience some challenges this year, or in any year for that matter. But the cheaper entry point that we now have provides a little bit more wiggle room and it provides a little bit of a greater opportunity for us to realize a stronger return from equities going forward as a result of valuations now being lower than where they were at this point last year. All right, then, before we wrap up today's episode, any final words for our clients, Craig? Well, Alex, hopefully you've heard that we're on top of things with respect to managing our portfolios as we move into 2023. While we do expect continued volatility, we also are optimistic that things will start to settle down, that the ability for us to generate better returns out of our total portfolios in 2023 will be certainly better than 2022. But of course, we always encourage our clients to work with their advisors to make sure their policy and portfolio fits with their long-term needs as we continue to navigate through what could be a bit of a volatile 23. Well said. Craig West, we really appreciate your time and effort. I always get a lot out of our conversations. On behalf of our listeners, thank you. It's always a pleasure. Thank you, Alex. Thank you so much, Alex. As always, if you have any questions about what we spoke about today, questions about your portfolio, please don't be shy. Reach out to your MD advisor. Whether you're a client or not, we are here to help. If you like this podcast, please be sure to subscribe through your favorite podcast provider and check out our other market commentary content available on md.ca. You'll find blog posts, videos, and much more. Last but not least, thank you for listening to the MD Market Watch podcast. Thank you to all the doctors and healthcare professionals out there for taking care of us. Wishing you all health, wealth, and happiness in the new year. Bye, everybody. Thank you.